welcome to Allianz Talks. I'm John White, Senior Director, Global Clients at Allianz Global Corporate and Specialty. This podcast series provides quick perspectives on current and emerging trends related to the insurance industry, one talk at a time. The title of today's talk is Conscious Construction, and we're talking about risks associated with sustainable growth in the construction industry as it relates to the new infrastructure bill both in the United States and in Canada. We'll discuss the new age industrial renaissance, the impact of growth and maturity on renewable energy, both wind and solar, and how the ESG factor and net zero initiatives cradle all of the above. And as always, we're gonna do, about, do this in about 15 to 20 minutes. To help with this discussion, Please welcome our expert, Michael Pignataro. He's our regional head of energy and construction at Allianz Global Corporate and Specialty. His background includes working for Lloyd's, working as a Lloyd's underwriter for Talbot 1183, and he was the New York underwriter for AIG. He's got a total of seven years background in this field. So, Michael, thank you for joining us on Allianz Talks. Thank you for having me. Glad to be with you. So, okay, we're gonna jump right in to my first question. Mike, according to an expert from Allianz recent construction risk report, the global construction industry is forecast, forecasted to grow 42% to 15 trillion by 2030. And it's expected to be a major driver of economic growth in the coming decade, outperforming manufacturing and even services. Can you provide us with an overview of the impending construction landscape, especially as it relates to North America? Sure. So countries in particular, the United States have um, really allowed their their infrastructure, um, the very foundations that their service societies are built on, uh, logistics, technology, supply chains, to really fall into a state of neglect and disrepair. Um, in the case of the United States, it's important to recognize that the majority of our you know, tangible infrastructure, the roads, highways, bridges, tunnels that we use every day, most of these were built in the 1950s, uh, 60s, and 70s, really uh, um, part, of, uh, part of sort of the Eisenhower administration coming back from, uh, coming back from the war, needing to employ a substantial amount of people um, who just come back from World War II. And while these, these elements were maintained really up, in, up until about the 1980s, and then in the 1980s, sort of, it, it really kind of all stopped. Um, the economy transitioned, we stopped uh, effectively building things, um, and we stopped really repairing things. But what's progressively happened is these elements have come to the end of their natural lifespan. And because of that, they really desperately need an upgrade. Um, this is actually opportune in that in, in repairing our infrastructure, we also solve many problems elsewhere. So it's, uh, it's no surprise and it's no secret that um, the United States is really dealing with a, uh, and Canada as well, is dealing with somewhat of an employment crisis coming out of uh, coming out of COVID. There's also um, a very real uh, erosion of the middle class in both of these countries. And 
this infrastructure bill is seen um, and infrastructure initiatives, both in the United States and Canada, are really seen as a way to repair a, a, a failing infrastructure, um, it provide it direct and indirect employment. Um, and it's important to almost think about the, the indirect side. So on the direct side, you will immediately employ laborers, engineers, um, sort of trades professionals. But what's also needed is the indirect side. So you'll need to, if you're going to go build highways, bridges, and tunnels, you're going to need um, cement. You're going to need steel. You're going to need all of these other, all these other elements that need to come from local supply chains. It requires factories to be built. It requires substantial secondary investment. Um, there you have it. Yeah, it's almost like a major ripple effect, if you will, um, from employment right on down through the trades and the supply chain. Correct. Yes, and and it's almost it's almost important to um, to realize too that this bill um, and infrastructure initiatives uh, similar in Canada they will cover the entire geographic footprint of these countries. So it's not going to be something where it's like, you know, just a hundred ten billion dollar projects. It's not going yeah. to be like that. It's going to be, you know, millions of million dollar projects, yeah. you know, small highway repairs, um, uh, small water infrastructure um, initiatives. Um, and it's also when talking about that indirect side, it's important to realize that if you want to build something, let's say you want to build a bridge in the United States, and you want to have it all be sort of from a, U, from a reliable U.S. supply line, you're talking about, well, I need steel. Where's the steel going to come from? The steel yeah. might come from historically, say, Pittsburgh. All right, well, where's the iron ore necessary to, to, to make that steel going to come from? Well, that's going to come from an iron mine in, say, Minnesota. So by building something in New York, and then, and then you've got all the logistics in between. By building something in New York, you end up um, creating a demand of economic activity in western Pennsylvania, yeah, I, in I, Minnesota. And that's just from a single project in New York. Now, you spread that around the country, and you really see um, sort of almost a force multiplier, a, a, yeah, a real right. drive. Well, we won't look forward to the um, the delays on the roads that the closures create, but we will look forward to the gleaming new role, uh, roads and the uh, the um, the employment and the um, supply chain gains that the uh, economy gets from it. So uh, we look forward to that very definitely. So I'm going to move forward along these lines. Um, infrastructure investment has has historically been viewed as an important strategy for you know, as we're talking about right now, economic crisis management, uh, since it creates local jobs and revitalizes the, commu the communities, just what you were talking about, Mike. This growth also requires capacity and expertise from the construction and engineering insurance markets. Can you comment on the challenges construction insurers may face during this industrial renaissance? Can you give us your perspective on that? Sure. So what I'll do is I'll hit on some uh... I'll hit on some key points, and the key points are really going to be understanding sort of the the first one would be the underwriting challenges. Um, one of the big things that's going to that's going to come about is sort of extended project um, durations, and 
where this is going to really emerge from is while it is fantastic and it's an initiative that I absolutely support in this infrastructure bill is, you know, massive spending, large geographic footprint. The reality, though, is that in the short term, neither the United States or Canada really has the workforce to meet this demand. It's just it's just not there. So and construction is unique in that it's something that you cannot outsource. So like I can't outsource someone building a highway. They need to be there. I can't outsource someone building a building or, or, or renovating a yeah. hospital. They need to be there. So that's going to require really careful planning by contractors, by developers, um, and there's just not going to be the supply. So what it's going to, what it's going to create Regardless of as, as much planning as you do, as, as, no matter what sort of initiatives you want, you're going to see delays. You're going to see delays. And, and what this will materialize in for underwriters is they need to be conscious of um, sort of prolonged NAT CAD exposures. They need, because they're, the project's longer, the projects are written sure. for the duration of the project, you're going to be exposed to more windstorm seasons. You're going sure. to be exposed to a longer period, which, which, you know, makes your earthquake return period all the more likely. The other thing is that this demand, this increased demand, will also naturally translate into inflation. And with that, underwriters, carriers need to be very considerate of deductible adequacy, rating adequacy, understanding that while their say twenty-five or fifty thousand dollar deductible may be good in say twenty twenty-two, in twenty twenty-five, that deductible is completely insufficient. To have the same recovery or to have the same sort of level of retention from a fifty thousand dollar deductible five sure. years from now, need something more like a hundred thousand dollar deductible. So you have to plan, not thinking about today, but thinking about where your placement will be three, four, five years from now. Sure, I see. Not the smoothest road ahead, given the challenge you're, you're, you're outlining here, Mike. Correct? Just, Correct. Just some things to consider. Some great points. Yes. Correct. My next question. Now, go ahead. Hmm? I was no, gonna... no, I didn't know whether I... I didn't know whether or not you wanted me to touch on uh, uh, touch oh, on some more points or if you absolutely. wanted to move on to that. Sure. So absolutely. some of Go the ahead. other um, some of the other uh, challenges, and um, I think I think this is really I think this is probably at the heart, and it's and it and it goes alongside with what I previously mentioned. Is while there are other you know while there are other facets and things to be aware of, the number one thing is really this shortage of skilled labor. Now, what will happen is contractors are not going to want to turn away jobs. Um, there's going to be demand on developers because they have, you know, they're, they're borrowing money to do these things. They're, they'll need to have them done on time. And what you will see is you will see because of this low supply of, of a workforce, it's going to create a demand, a renewed demand for tradespeople. Well, you're not going to have these experience. You can't generate, say, a, a 10, 25-year experienced tradesperson in the next year, two years. Right. But you're going to need bodies. So they're going to hire these people. This will 
this will really lead to, in, in, in my opinion, an, an, a rise in defects. They'll just become more frequent. And it's something that underwriters really have to take into consideration. Um, one of the things that's often overlooked in our line of business is that what they are building, or I should say who is building something, is just as important as what they are building. Yeah. And the analogy to almost, be, the, the analogy to almost think about is, you know, what's more risky from an insurance perspective is, is a, 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 a medium-sized, say, bridge project overpass being done by um, real professionals, real professionals, everybody's experience, everybody's at the top of their game, is that more or less hazardous than some new people, no experience, building something as simple as a house? Yes. And you'll often, and, and, you, can all, and you can very easily argue, well, I'll take a lot more frequent losses, a lot more of death by a thousand cuts almost, from the inexperienced crew building the house as opposed to the more apparent dangerous aspect of building the mid-sized bridge. Interesting observation. I would never have thought of the rise in defects, uh, given the things that you have just mentioned as factors to consider as we advance on these um, infrastructure projects. Interesting points. Um, Mike, I'm going to go to my next question. It's going to pivot slightly to the renewable energy sector. So, with the global drive to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, uh, we're seeing large investments in renewable energy, namely wind and solar. Can you provide some insight into the risks that are associated with upscaling renewable energy? Can you help us out on that? Sure, sure. So, um, once again, this is this is one of those um, this is one of those initiatives that needs to happen. Needs to happen. Um, fossil fuels and uh, fossil fuel related power generation um, are contributing really to the. <laughs> The choking of the planet. There's, there's just no other way. There's just no other way really to put it. So there does need to be investment in solar, wind, um, uh, wave technology is another one that's that, that's somewhat emerging, but it's not quite there. But from an underwriting standpoint, the important thing to realize that while these initiatives are important, and it's and it's and it's important for us as insurance carriers to to aid in the development of these. We cannot lose sight that, you know, all that glitters is not gold and that these renewable projects um, do come with really sort of inherent risks. And one of the most pronounced risks um, is the aspect of where are these things built? So in the case of wind farms, you're not building them in, say, you know, well-established uh, sort of areas. You have to build them in relatively remote spaces and these these remote spaces present several challenges so it's important to remember that these blades that go on these uh that go on these towers when they're all spread apart they take up around the same area as a 737. yeah they're pretty big so yeah so, so they're massive and the individual blades themselves need to be transported along roads that they were yeah. never intended to travel, small winding county roads. 
you know, um, it often it often gets lost in in the idea of all right. Well, I want to go build a wind farm, say in West Virginia. Where are you going to put it? And the surveyor almost points down. They go, well, we're going to build it on that heavy timbered hill. Yeah. Okay. How are we getting the stuff there? Yeah, getting the things well, up there exactly. Sure. Exactly. So so what will end up happening is the project in order to get the wind farm up there, which makes sense, and it, and it, and it, and, it, and it's a and it's and it's a you know solid endeavor. You'll have to build sometimes the roads and the means and the means of building it even before you touch the project well you've got to clear you've got to clear the hillsides of the of the of the heavy timber you've got to build the roads to get the blades and the towers there so these all become elements of the project and oftentimes you see underwriters and carriers get a little bit too focused on the mechanical aspects of the risk right right you know how, how often do the turbines fail and, and um, what's the likelihood of, you know, a tower collapse or anything like that? Well, what's the likelihood while, while ignoring, well, what's the likelihood of, um, uh, you know, almost a deluge <laughs> coming down um, in, this, in this area and wiping out all of the logistics and all that early site work that you did just to begin the project. That's all been sure. wiped out and that might all need to be redone. So it's important for it's important for people and carriers to focus not just on the mechanical aspects of 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 the uh, of the risk, but also gonna have, the similar, and infrastructure. You're gonna have similar considerations, uh, maybe not the same as you know, land-based wind turbines, but the offshore is gonna present similar uh, logistical challenges too correct oh absolutely and 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 it's important that's a very good point um the thing about uh offshore um and it's it's a little bit more apparent i feel that carriers probably a little bit more know what they're getting into but um they they might not even have a full appreciation for it so if something goes wrong on an offshore project nothing is simple Nothing is simple and yeah. nothing will be. You have to, in order to solve problems in an offshore environment, you really have to engineer the solution. You truly do. It's not, it's not like, um, it's not like, well, okay, we'll just go out and fix it. Well, you might find, you might, I mean, you might be dealing with an issue where, I don't know, the, the water could be 1500 meters deep. Yeah. You could have, you could have poor weather conditions that are that are that are um, that are estimated to, to to stay in place for several weeks. Yeah, sure. it might not be the season that you can go out there and make and make these changes. So, the offshore environment is is something that is absolutely um, needs to be taken into consideration. Good points, Mike. Good points. Um, while we're on the topic of green energy, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about ESG and our involvement in the Net Zero Alliance. So with that, can you talk about what the Net Zero Alliance is and our ESG plans associated with it? Sure. So the Net Zero Alliance is an initiative that um, was really signed into um, with several financial companies, several financial um, sort of stakeholders 
insurance companies, banks, um, of which Allianz uh, SE is one of them, and through which the subsidiary companies like uh, Allianz Global and Specialty um, follow suit. So how this initiative really translates um, for AGCS is we are, I don't like to, I don't like to use the word, you know, moving away or completely exiting, although in some cases we are. What we are trying to do is we are trying to incentivize insureds to move towards greener initiatives. So the, the general thought process is by withholding or reducing capacity on fossil fuel assets or um, materials that are derived from fossil fuels, insurance in a small way can drive these companies to greener initiatives. And by companies driving towards greener initiatives, it helps the overall, um, it helps the overall climate change, um, uh, climate change initiative. Um, that's the general idea. So sure. it's, similar, it's similar to some of the things we've done with coal, correct, Mike? Yes. So like, for instance, um, we have, we have for some companies who cannot or are hesitant or unwilling to meet a, um, meet a coal reduction uh, schedule, we are withholding capacity. For those that are, for those that are, while they still have coal assets, um, we recognize that they are moving in the right direction. And we support these companies. We support these companies. I don't know off the top of my head um, what, say, 2022's uh, percentage of assets is, but that's the general idea, is that if your percentage of assets is X and next year it's Y and Y sits below a certain threshold, we will continue to support you. We'll support both your, both your existing coal assets and we'll also, as, sure. as mentioned, but within reason, support your renewable initiatives because that's really what they're replacing the coal with. Yeah, they're not yeah. replacing coal with, say, you know, uh, some other hazardous power generation uh, method. They're often uh, reducing their carbon footprint by uh, wind and solar. And we're all for that, correct? I can't imagine anyone not being in favor of that as we help to drive this um, through insurance products. Correct, correct. Well, like, while I have concerns about, say, the underwriting and the risks involved with, uh, with wind and solar, I cannot deny um, the environmental impact, the positive environmental impact of these initiatives. Is a coal plant safer? from a risk standpoint, maybe, maybe, but in the grand scheme of things, it's, it's not conducive to where the planet needs to go. Um, and companies like Allianz are really forward thinking in, um, in supporting these initiatives towards green energy. That's really good feedback. Very good feedback. Michael, thank you so much for taking time to talk to us. Um, we, I think we could go on a little longer here if we'd like, but um, you've given us some interesting feedback. I mean, the new the construction landscape with the infrastructure programs in the US and Canada, 
um, from street repairs to major infrastructure bridge repairs. Um, it's definitely going to be, you know, a cure for underemployment un, uh, and un, unemployment um, in the North American continent. So I, I think we look. I think we're all embracing that as we move forward to that. The you've outlined the challenges, um, you know, involved with these major infrastructure projects from, you know, delayed startup. You know, the skilled worker scarcity, I don't think many of us have thought too much about that, which could actually, you know, lead to some rise in defects, something for all underwriters to think about. So um, as we move forward in there and then when we talk about renewable energy, renewable energies, both wind and solar, um, as you say, to quote you, all that glitters is not gold. There's so many different logistical uh, things that and hurdles that we must think of. Just, you know, getting the, the, the massive blades to the site and get them erected and what that takes and certainly similar uh, logistical uh, concerns and pitfalls on the offshore. And I got to say, you know, uh, we hear a lot about net zero. Thank you for giving us your definition of that. And thank you very much for outlining um, what Allianz is doing with our own internal net zero initiative as we advance uh, the concepts and principles of ESG in the insurance industry. So, and we managed to do this all in a very short time format. So Michael, thank you once again. Thank you. It was a pleasure having you. Um, to our audience, if you would like to learn more, please visit our website to download the uh, Construction Risk Trends Report at agcs.allianz.com. Thank you for listening to Allianz Talks, where we tackle today's insurance industry concerns one talk at a time. Until next time, I'm John White. <laughs>